Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Today, I want to start again by telling you that you should go to wealthformula.com and take advantage of all of those resources that I have there for you, including the free download of my best-selling Amazon book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. By the way, if you can't get to a computer, you can also get that simply by texting me at 44222 and typing Wealth Formula. Again, that's 44222, Wealth Formula. One word, don't let the autocorrect screw you up. There's lots of things you can do there. There's all sorts of downloads, educational ones about saving money on taxes, investing in real estate. As for today... I am going to talk a little bit about something that you might be thinking that, hey, this doesn't seem really, you know, part of the ethos, but it is. And I'll tell you why. So it's funny. I was watching TV the other day and I don't know what they were talking about, but it was a clip from NBC show back in 1994. And they have this clip where Katie Couric is asking the producer, can you explain what the Internet is? And then, of course, Bryant Gumbel looks back and he looks really confused and he's like, yeah, what is that Internet thing? And they start talking about what an email address is. It, you know, they're acting like, you know, these kids today, What you know, it's like this passing fad. Now, that was 1994. Now, don't you wish that you knew what the Internet was back then? Don't you wish you had enough foresight to see that this was actually not like, you know, just another fad, but literally a seismic shift in not only technology, but really in the way our world ended up becoming, you know, if you knew that, what would you have done? Of course, you know, the easy answer is to just say, I would have bought Google or buy Amazon, but that's not really what I mean. I mean, if you knew what you know now. My guess is that you would learn everything you could about this new technology and you'd try to figure out how you could position yourself to benefit from it and potentially get some kind of piece of the action. You know, so this is actually where we are with what's called blockchain technology. Now, I know some of you are saying, block what? You know, just kind of like Bryant Gumbel would back in 1994. Exactly. 
you know, few people out there understand blockchain, but I am convinced that blockchain technology will become as ubiquitous as the app. Now, most people are familiar with blockchain best by a currency that's built on that platform called Bitcoin. There are a number of cryptocurrencies such as Ethereum, etc., but most people probably are most likely to know about Bitcoin. However, currency is just the tip of the iceberg with this technology. Blockchain technology will, and I'm being bold here, but I will say it will fundamentally change the way we do business, make transactions, and interface with the world. And with regard to currency, I don't care what Jamie Dimon says, all right? I really don't. This thing can't be stopped. Why? Because cryptocurrency lies at the confluence of a very unique place that brings together libertarians clamoring for privacy, computer geeks in Wall Street, anti-Wall Street, anti-central bank people all in one place. That's really powerful. Not to mention, you just can't stop this technology because, you know, that's part of the technology. (laughs) So it's the people are trying to get in the way. They are going to fail miserably. Now, listen, I know some of you are saying to yourselves, Buck, I can't see it, touch it, or feel it, so why should I care? After all, shouldn't I be investing in tangible assets? I mean, that's what you say all the time. That's what you say in your book. Well, yeah, but I'm not talking about investing in this right now. All I'm trying to do is to try to get you to recognize it for what it is. It is the future. And furthermore, cryptocurrencies, if the truth be told, are no less real than the American dollar. In fact, let's look at this, okay? Bitcoins are limited in number. They're transacted directly from one person to another and have a decentralized ledger that makes it virtually impossible to hack. On the other hand, you've got the U.S. dollar that can and is printed at will. There's no limited number of U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar often requires a third party to facilitate transactions if it's not cash. And it can easily be counterfeited, as we've seen throughout history, and it can be hacked. In fact, I will go as far to say that cryptocurrency, we're talking about, you know, this is a very general thing, not about one cryptocurrency, because I think, you know, we have a long way to figure out who or what wins or if what the system is. But cryptocurrency actually shares more features with gold than it does with the U.S. dollar. Now, I can't explain this all to you. First of all, I'm no Bitcoin or blockchain expert. However, I do know enough at this point to be absolutely convinced that blockchain technology and some kind of cryptocurrency system will be commonplace in our daily lives a decade from now, probably even sooner. You're already seeing it now. But what I'm saying is it's going to be commonplace, right? We're going to go back and we're going to say, just like I think about like when I was in high school, the internet was at its absolute infancy. And you look back and think, remember when we didn't have internet? Remember when we needed to learn something? We had to actually get an encyclopedia. That's the kind of seismic change this is going to be in our lives. So with that in mind, This week's Wealth Formula podcast will try to help you get up to speed on this stuff. And in fact, I guarantee that by the end of the podcast that you will be listening to today, 
you will know more than 99.9% of people out there about this new brave world of blockchain. It doesn't take much, frankly. And so when we come back, you will learn about it. And you'll learn about it not from me, but from one of the country's pioneers in blockchain technology, Reeve Collins. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, my guest is a gentleman by the name of Reeve Collins. Reeve is a longstanding pioneer in the Bitcoin blockchain space and was co-founder and CEO of Tether. Now, his efforts revolutionized the way currency is transacted by creating the world's first fiat currency platform on the Bitcoin blockchain. And in just over one year from inception, Tether was acquired by Bitfinex, the world's largest Bitcoin exchange. And prior to Tether, Collins founded several successful ventures, including Traffic Marketplace, one of the first online networks to be acquired by Vivendi Universal, Red Lever, a brand entertainment studio acquired by Adconian Media Group, and Pela Interactive, where he secured $70 million to create a legal, real money gambling site in the U.S. that is live today. Now, currently, Reeve is creating an entirely new economy, around digital goods as co-founder and CEO of BlockV, which we'll talk about a little bit more. BlockV provides an innovative platform for the creation of a new class of virtual goods called VATOMs. That's atoms with a V that are interactive smart objects on blockchains, enabling ownership, scarcity, and authenticity of digital goods for the first time. Welcome, Reeve. How are you doing? Wonderful. And thank you for having me. Happy to uh, have a discussion with you. Yeah, so this is great. So Reeve was kind enough. He is actually in Kiev right now, but because of some things that are happening with Block V, et cetera, I wanted to definitely get him on the show talking about things here. But we're going to back way up, Reeve, because like what I told you before was that my audience is full of doctors and CPAs and, you know, there's some software engineers out there who probably know a little bit about this stuff. For the most part, it is brand new. So starting with a very, very broad question. What is blockchain and why should we care? Well, it's a great question and people have asking it for quite some time because it's really complex. And if you go back a number of years and imagine instead of people said, what is the internet? Imagine if they said, what is TCP IP? No one would have a clue, nor would they really care. That was the protocol. That's the technology that powers the internet, the real deep plumbing to the internet but it didn't really have much of an impact on the world. And it took a few more layers before it did. And once the web browser came along, then it could be called the internet. And really because that web browser was the interface moment for it, right? It enabled developers and end users to interact with that underlying technology 
in a meaningful manner. Developers could now build and monetize businesses on top of this technology. And that was the interface which enabled that technology to explode upon the world. So Today, blockchain itself, though, is sort of a fundamental way of securing information. Is that fair? It is. And it's actually a distributed ledger. The blockchain simply records transactions. What makes it unique and what makes it have the ability to change the world, it's because the way it records those transactions is in a decentralized manner. And to simplify what that means is that it does not require a third party to oversee the transaction. Imagine if today you want to send money to someone. You pretty much have to go to a bank or use PayPal or you have to use some service, some third party that states and records the fact that you sent someone else a dollar and they charge a fee for that and it takes quite a bit of time. The blockchain has removed the need for oversight of that transaction. It enables you to send anyone in the world almost instantly and almost for free money. Now, what is that money? So instead of using the word money, let's say value, in the beginning it was Bitcoin. So the blockchain enabled you to send a Bitcoin to someone anywhere in the world with an internet connection without third-party oversight. And that's what started this revolution. You know, we're talking about currency, so let's just go with that because that's probably the most common thing that people think about when they hear about blockchain or cryptocurrency is Bitcoin. So let's say with Bitcoin, what is it exactly that creates the authenticity of a Bitcoin? So it's a ledger. So a Bitcoin is just a series of numbers mm -hmm. and the ledger records that the transaction was made. And the fact that that ledger, there's a copy of it on thousands and hundreds of thousands of computers around the world. And that those ledgers are exactly identical or the transaction will not be confirmed. That ensures that it's authentic. That it ensures that there's no double spend and that that transaction did in fact take place. So you cannot counterfeit it, duplicate it, and it, it guarantees it's authentic. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. And the other thing is with Bitcoin, as with some of the other cryptocurrencies, there is a finite number of them. Is that right? Yes, there will only be 21 million Bitcoins ever mined. And mining is essentially being paid to confirm a Bitcoin transaction. So since I said there are hundreds of thousands or millions of computers around the world confirming these Bitcoin transactions, why would you do that? You're not going to spend the time, money, effort, and resource to create a bunch of computers, plug them in, pay all the bills, unless you earn something for it. And so that was part of the genius of Satoshi Nakamoto when he created the whole system was to properly align the incentives for the network to all join together and participate to confirm these transactions. So miners earn Bitcoin by joining the network and confirming these Bitcoin transactions. So, and I don't want to spend too much time on this part of it, but blockchain, so I'm trying to build this up for my listeners is the way I understand it. So blockchain is basically this ledger, this authenticity system or milieu. And on top of that, what you're able to do is build a currency. Now, in this case, we're talking about Bitcoin or maybe Ethereum or something like that. And that thing has value because everybody agrees within this network that it has value and that it's authentic and that you can't duplicate it and there's a finite amount. Right away, you're seeing why I'm thinking this is really interesting because one of the things we talk about on this show all the time, Reeve, just for you, is sort of the problem with fiat currency when it's paper, right? You can print a ton of it. There's not a finite amount. You can counterfeit it. You can, you can do all the same. But there's also an element to Bitcoin that's outside of currency, 
right? With regard to secrecy, with regard to contracts, et cetera. Can you talk about that real quick? Well, let's go back to why Bitcoin's value. The price of Bitcoin is, is based simply on supply and demand. We know the supply is limited and the demand will go up or down based on its utility. So we've talked about some of its utility, the fact that it's essentially global, instant and free to move Bitcoin. And then some more of its utility is just the fact that you're utilizing the internet and there's no third party overseeing that. So in some places where there's a lot of currency controls or real instability with their own local currencies, Bitcoin's very appealing. So it has a lot more utility than in these instances, the local currencies. Also, some of the transactions, they are what we call semi-transparent, semi-anonymous, because while to track the movement of the token is perfectly transparent, you know every wallet and every hop that Bitcoin did, you don't always know who owns which wallet. And that's why they state that it's anonymous. So there's levels of working with the system to make it more transparent or less transparent, depending on your intended outcome. Right. But in terms of it being a source of contracts, or I've heard people talk about blockchain in the context of health records, how would that work? That allows you to create a authentic hash, like a record that cannot be altered of a record of a set of information. So you can write it to the blockchain. So essentially that you're guaranteed that at a specific point in time, this information was not tampered with, and this is what it was at that day. So it's great for notary for a proof of title chain of title for and for health records because if you have your id which is you have your private key which means you're the only one that can access this information so essentially your private key gives you the rights to view whatever that information is so if you want to put your health records on there you know that no one can tamper with them and no one else can see them except for the person with that private key and then you can hand out permissions to other people. So if you want to give it to your doctor or your spouse or someone else or your insurance agency, but no one else, you have the ability to control who sees your data. And because of that ledger and source of authenticity, you can therefore theoretically could be sort of hack proof. Is that right? It's hack proof and you own it. It doesn't reside with Blue Cross. It doesn't right. reside with your doctor. It's yours. And so if you want to switch doctors or insurance companies or anything else, you don't have to make 72 phone calls and 55 faxes to an old office somewhere to get your own information, right? It's right there. You have full control of it. And you can do with it what you want. And you don't have That's, to pay for it, right? And you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's taking ownership back where in the past, all these third parties had a lot of oversight into what you did with your data and how it was monetized and they would get a lot of value or charge a lot of fees. All of those middlemen eventually will re be replaced by some form of blockchain technology. Based on that, the next thing that comes into my mind, and I bet you a bunch of my listeners are thinking, whoa, doesn't Wall Street pretty much exist on commissions and, you know, uh, basically being the middleman? So if that's the case, I would think there'd be strong forces uh, on Wall Street or anybody who's there to just basically be the middleman and collect money to try to get in the way. Have you found that to be the case? Well, yes, but it's always the case. Look at the music industry, right? When new technology came around to truly disrupt the music industry, it really shook it up. They fought it in the beginning, but all of the financial institutions and governments, they realize, they've learned the lessons of the past and realize that while they're doing their best to fight it and to regulate it, they're also doing a deep dive and educating themselves as quickly as possible to be able to use this technology for their advantage, right? Because technology is not good or bad. It depends on how it's utilized. And if these massive organizations utilize this technology to their benefit, 
it ultimately makes them more efficient. Because I'll tell you who else hates the time and inefficiencies of sending a wire. Not only do we, but the banks do. It's a pain for them as well. It's very inefficient. And so ultimately, a few things are going to take place, in my opinion, that brand new companies are going to be started, massive financial institutions of the future that were born from the blockchain. But also, a lot of the incumbents, they'll absolutely still be around. They will adopt a form of blockchain technology that will make their operations much, much, much more efficient. Therefore, those savings will be passed on to the user. And ultimately, the consumers will benefit because they'll have better, faster, cheaper services. And that those big incumbents won't any longer be able to just charge crazy fees for being a middleman because the need for a middleman will be eliminated. They'll have to come up with better ways to service the consumer or the consumer simply won't use them. So I think this is a good place to kind of break into what you're doing now, which is really cool, which is Block V. Because what we're talking about is effectively, you want to call it technology or whatever, that is pretty much in its infancy. And I think you made a really good point early on when you were talking about the Internet and the pieces of the Internet and somebody, you know, during that phase asking not what the question of the Internet was, but what would these little pieces of the Internet technology were. We're kind of in the same place turn blockchain into something that can be used like the Internet eventually was able to be used through Yahoo, Netscape, you know, all the early ones, and then ultimately Google, you had to have some kind of platform on which to build that. And is that where Block V comes in? Absolutely. We believe Block V to be the interface to the blockchain. And what that ultimately means is if you think of the App Store and what Apple did for mobile, they created the App Store, which enabled developers to build and monetize apps on top of the mobile platform. Prior to that, there wasn't much access to monetizing businesses on top of mobile. And now it's exploded and created an entirely new economy, the app economy. Well, now blockchain has come along and there's so much potential there. And there's niche communities around the world that see it and feel it and realize it. But the mass market has heard about it because how much value it's created, but they've not really fully experienced it. And that's where Block V comes in. Block V will enable developers to build and monetize on top of blockchains. But the apps that they're building on blockchains are tokens. Now tokens is what makes that Bitcoin special. Bitcoin is a token, but its qualities are what you said before, is finite. You can program how many there'll ever be. They're authentic, they're transferable, they're ownable, they're transparent, so they're traceable. So all of these characteristics that give this digital object value, that's what a token is. What Block V does, it adds app-like qualities to that token. It enables you to add 3D images, flat 2D images, music, video, and then policy. So you can program it to do different things. So it really comes alive and gives the end user a very rich and meaningful experience with this object that they now own, like a Bitcoin. Today, a Bitcoin you own, but it's just a number on a page. Now imagine if that this token that needs to be authentic was a ticket, right? You might have heard of blockchain for tickets, except for still, it would just be like a flat PDF, except for now you know it's authentic and it hasn't been counterfeit. But imagine if that ticket was authentic, it wasn't counterfeit. You bought a ticket for a Taylor Swift concert, you paid $100, instead of clicking on a link and getting a PDF, you clicked on a link and you got a video of Taylor Swift singing to you and telling you how excited she was that you're coming to her concert, sharing the playlist and saying, this is going to be the best ever. You go to the concert, you transfer that ticket 
at the door and all of a sudden they say, guess what? This ticket just turned into a backstage pass. You were upgraded. You won the drawing. Or here's a free popcorn. Or you know what? You didn't win anything this time, but Taylor Swift says she loves you, right? It's a moment of surprise and delight, so it evolves. And then after the show, Taylor Swift goes backstage, takes some video, says it's the best show ever, and she shows herself partying with her friends and says, can't wait to see you until next time. And then your ticket, this blockchain token, gets updated with this exclusive content. And now, since it turns into a memento, a keepsake, because, you know, it's scarce. There's only 1,000 tickets to the show sold. It has exclusive content. And the beauty is you own it. So unlike an app where you can use the content and that's all, you own this digital keepsake that has exclusive content. So you can either collect it or you can buy, sell, or trade it. You can put it on an exchange or send it to a friend because someone out there might pay $5 for this keepsake that's got exclusive content. And then you can take it a level further. A month from now, since you have this digital object that's programmed, Taylor Swift, instead of tweeting one to the world, she can just send out a tweet to those 1,000 people that own that specific ticket, right, that went to that specific show that says, you know what, thanks for joining me in Indiana. Now our, our next show is down the street, right, whatever she wants to communicate to them. So it takes the notion of what a blockchain token is to an extraordinarily rich and interactive level that has never been seen before on the blockchain. And that's why we say that BlockFi provides the interface moment to the blockchain because we give developers the tools to build and monetize these types of business applications on top of blockchains that are very end user friendly. I'm just thinking of some other examples here because I think, again, it's, it's really hard to understand, right, for people who are new to this. I would think that this has a tremendous, Block V in particular would have a tremendous role for big companies. So, you know, if I'm Coca-Cola or something like that, being able to advertise using Block V tokens, right? How would that work? How would that look? Absolutely. And that's a really, really big application of our technology is changing the way brands communicate to consumers. Think about all of the money that is spent today in advertising, especially digital media. First of all, the majority of the ads that you get in digital media probably annoy you, right? It's not something that you encourage or are happy that you are experiencing. Facebook wasn't natively built to have ads. It didn't for a number of years. Same with Snapchat and all of these other social media platforms. Ads came in and now they are more intrusive. Now imagine a world instead of where Coke was paying, where these brands were paying all this money to be on a platform that's intrusive, that if actually they were paying money directly to you, if they were providing you, instead of a message, they were providing you an object of value. So for instance, in your Coke example, if Coke says, look, I want to create this little game that says, if you go to these four places and collect these things, it will all combine together and it will turn into this Coca-Cola. And imagine that they put that out on their social media. You click a link, ding, you get a text on your phone, and all of a sudden this little digital object pops up that says, go to these four places, click these buttons, and you'll get a free Coke. In that instance, instead of, first of all, Coca-Cola provided this object, and that might have cost them, let's say, a few dollars, right, to in the value that they provided you, versus them spending that on a website just for you to click and not really interact with whatever the message is. Now they provided you this experience, they took you on a journey, and you got something out of it at the end of the day. Coke right. has so a was, direct relationship with you, right? They sent yeah. you this little micro app. They literally provided you value instead of bugging you. Exactly. They're, right. they're sending you objects of value. It's like the ticket. So think back to Taylor Swift. 
Before it was a flat PDF, your experience ended there. She has to advertise it in all these other places to say her new concert's coming. Except for now, since you had that last experience that you got, you got this really cool ticket, and all of a sudden it pings you and alerts you a month later saying, Taylor Swift's sending you a message and offering you this deal, right? Because now they have this connection through this token. They have a connection to you that the brand can update and send you more exciting things. And you know what? If you don't like it, then someone else might. And in this instance, you can put it on the exchange and trade it for something else or sell it, right? So it enables you to actually self-select and, and find the things that you do like and receive messages and offers from brands that you do appreciate and trade the ones away that you don't. So now you're never going to interact with an ad that doesn't have value because if it doesn't have value for you, it may have value for someone else. And that's the beauty of these VATOMs, of these smart virtual objects. They're tokens that are trackable. Brands have the analytics behind this now to track every time that was shared, where it went and what happened. Therefore, they can improve upon the experiences so they truly are adding you value and not annoying you. It's interesting because the way this all kind of works is on top of the, again, going back to the idea of this coin. So let's look at Block V. And now again, let's say I'm Coca-Cola or you know I'm even a small business person or whatever. In order to get access to the platform, I have to buy a Block V coin, right? Or coins. So, How does yeah. this all work? So Block V is a platform for developers to build these VATOMs, this new asset class, which we believe will be the way brands and even people communicate to each other. Now it's through this experiential value exchange. So you do need to utilize a token to access the platform. And I can talk about the tokenization of these business models in a moment. That's another level of complexity. However, when we roll this out to the world, Block V has been built and very soon we'll, you will start seeing these smart digital objects. But you as an end user won't know because all you'll get is instead of clicking on that link and getting a PDF, you'll get this really cool video that actually does neat things. And you're like, that was awesome. And then all of a sudden, a little later, you might get one from Coke or from another brand or from a financial institution. It might be a new loyalty program. You'll get this other really cool experience. And soon you'll start getting a lot of them. And then you'll say, oh, this is what a VATM is. It's this neat new right, type of digital right. object that I own. So what I'm saying is the end user won't know anything about the token or how to mm -hmm. access the platform, and neither will the brands or the agencies because there'll be developers that build services on top of our platform that goes out and services these brands and agencies and creates the atoms for them, and these developers are the ones that will be utilizing the token in the platform. The brands will pay those developers cash. The developers will have to exchange that to access the platform into the token. Yeah. Because uh, the beauty is we keep it simple on every level. All uh, of the people that want to interact with the platform will do it in the way that they're used to, which is paying for a service and they'll pay a service provider. Think back in the day when you wanted to advertise online. In the very beginning, you went to you went to a shop to, to do your Google AdWords. There were agencies that would do all that listing because it was so complex. Right. And now it's so easy. It's self-service. So this is in the beginning right now. And so there'll be agencies that go and build all these things for you. And eventually it will become self-service. But in the beginning, you'll have agencies that make it very, very easy to build these digital objects called VATOMs. Let's move on to the issue of the coins and how those all work. Because I think a lot of this world ultimately goes back to, you know, various different platforms or companies issuing coins. So in, in this um, context, how would the coins work 
specifically? Yeah. Right, so there's a lot of news out there and a lot of hype around ICOs, which are initial coin offerings. And even that terminology is misleading because it's similar to IPO. And so it sounds like that an ICO is a new type of investment where ultimately there are many different flavors of ICOs. There are some securities, which are actual tokens that are a security that would be similar to an IPO. But the majority of these ICOs are labeled incorrectly. What they should be called is a TGE, which stands for token generation event. Because what everyone needs to understand and be fully aware of is that this token generation event, participating in it, is not a form of investment. What you're really doing is you're contributing to a smart contract system for the generation of a token. And what that token does is provide access to the underlying technology platform. The way we talked about this before went offline, which I thought was a useful analogy was actually what you're kind of doing. It's like you're creating all the tokens that you're going to use at a Chuck E. Cheese, right? To play the games, right? Exactly. Right. And so let's say you create a hundred tokens and you want to go into Chuck E. Cheese and play the game and you sell all of those tokens for 25 cents, but all of a sudden the games get really popular. So there's a lot more demand, but there's only a hundred tokens. And so in order to get access to Chuck E. Cheese, there's more demand than supply. So those tokens trade up in the, in the secondary market. That's the fundamental theory behind supply and demand in these tokenized models. But what you need to understand is that when you're investing in a utility token, it's not an investment. It's a belief that, first of all, you should do it because you want to utilize the network and the ecosystem. And that's why I want to talk just a minute about tokenized business models, because sure. I believe they're the business models of the future. And if a utility token is done right, there can be an extraordinary amount of value. And this is why. So bear with me one moment. Think about Facebook today. There are 2 billion contributors to Facebook. They spend their time, they upload an extraordinary amount of content, and they put in a lot of their personal data is collected. And the shareholders of Facebook accrue all of that value. The users spend a lot of time to get no value except for entertainment value, and that's what they're doing it for. And those are the business models of today. But the business models of the future, if there is a utility token, would look more like this. Now let's say that you used Facebook all the time, but every time you did a like, you got the equivalent of a fraction of a share in the company. And so the more likes you did, the more you accrued. And the more likes you did, the larger the network got. And therefore, that equity goes up in value. Does that kind of make sense? Because when you shift that to a utility token, what takes place is, While this utility token doesn't represent any of the profits or any future share of revenue, what it represents is the demand for the use of the network. So since the demand increases, more and more people want to utilize the service of the network. And every time they use it, that token goes up. But the more they use it, the more they actually accrue these tokens, then they actually participate in the value that is created by their efforts within that ecosystem. So to finalize that thought, in the future, our children will look at us and think we were crazy for spending all this time on these social media networks and not getting any value out of it except for being brain dead for a little while. (laughs) Because in the future, when they participate in the networks that they choose to participate in, the ones that they get both entertainment value out of, but they know that they are actually earning these tokens. They're earning a part. They're contributing to the ecosystem and earning for it. And that those earnings will go up in value over time. 
it's going to change the whole dynamic of how they view where they spend their time. And they'll think we're crazy for, for not getting anything out of it. You know, with something like Block V, where you have tokens there that have value to, you know, potential marketers, developers, et cetera, it seems like there would be an equilibrium over time. Obviously, you have a certain value, but it's not something that would continue to necessarily go up in value because at some point it would be too, quote unquote, expensive to buy a token. Is that the right way to look at it? So let's imagine that this new asset class of atoms becomes very popular. And people believe that now all the brands and all people and there's there's millions of different use cases, but they're now using these objects to communicate. They're sending messages and they're actually, you know, sending these interactive experiences. And that's how how brands connect with their customers. So if that's the case and there's billions of these objects out there and every time you want to create one and send one, it will cost the token, which we call V. It costs V and users for sharing them can earn V and the miners, which we call cyclers, will be paid in V for confirming those transactions. So now we have this ecosystem that requires V and the more and more demand for it, since the tokens are limited, then those tokens will increase in price because there's more demand for the underlying services. And as you were talking about equilibrium, they can't increase in price too much because then those services won't be worth that amount. So then there's another level that takes place, which is essentially a fraction. So then you adjust the prices accordingly to maintain that equilibrium so that there's enough supply in order to continue to fuel the ecosystem. Sort of like splitting stock? Would that be analogous? I mean, no, it's not analogous at all because no. the reason that is because, again, stock alludes to an investment. Really, a stock split is because the price gets too high and they would rather have a lower fraction on the paper. This is simply that the underlying services that you're using this token for, if it should only cost a dollar to send the VATM, but the but there's so much demand for the tokens that that goes up, then you just reduce the amount of tokens equivalent because the transactions are going to be priced in dollars. And so there'll be an exchange rate for the token to the dollar. Right. So sort of fractions of tokens kind of effectively. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Ultimately what people need to understand is that most of these companies are nonprofits that are creating the tokens, right? You're not investing in a future stream of revenues. You're not investing in this company to be profitable. You don't care about its profitability at all. What you care about is that there is demand for its product and that that demand will be ever increasing. Because that's the only way that a utility token would increase in price is when there's a lot of demand for the underlying service. And so that's why you get involved is because really you want to actually participate in that underlying service. That's the main reason to acquire these tokens. I know today a lot of people are doing it as speculative investments, but that's not what they are and that's not what they're for and that's not what I recommend. The recommendation is, I'm saying get involved for the reasons that you believe in the underlying product, that you believe that it's going to be worthwhile and that you believe it's going to change the way business is done in some meaningful way. It's not an investment. And so it's not about making money or generating profits. It's about sustaining and growing and getting more demand for its product. Although presumably, I mean, if you've got a token, if you have a coin offering coming up, for example, that presumably if people do participate inherently, if BlockFi takes off and there's a high demand for these tokens, they would increase in value. But I would never encourage anyone to buy it with the investment intent. Right. Because that is alluding to that this is investment, this is a security. And we are a pioneer in a new type of business model. And this type of business model is the tokenization is this utility token. And meaning that all the network participants 
will get to participate in the value created by their efforts. So if you create VATMs, if you use VATMs, if you perform the compute actions in order to confirm transactions of VATMs, then you will get value from that network token. And so the people acquiring it believe that there'll be more demand for VATMs. And therefore, the secondary effect of that is that that token goes up. But inherently, your the intent of acquiring the tokens is to ultimately utilize them in the system and really be a part of that ecosystem. So you do have an ICO coming up. When is that? And you know, can anyone participate? Yeah, so it's not an ICO. Again, we are very particular in the language. It's a token a TGB, generation. This, this right. token generation event. And it is on October 12th. We have already built our product. It is complete. We are using these funds to really put the final polish on it so we can make world-class developer tools so the developers can build and monetize this new asset class we created called Datums. And in addition, we're going to utilize those funds to truly market that new asset class around the world to attract more developers to build on the platform. So that token generation event is October 12th, and we're selling 35% of these tokens to the public so they can start fueling the ecosystem and getting involved in the creation and distribution and utilization of VATMs, which we truly do believe will change the way the world communicates. How do we learn about that more? Do we, is it blockv.com? It's blockv.io. There's .io. a white paper and a one pager that goes in depth and specifically a lot of detail around the VATMs and the structure and how the whole process works. Fantastic. This has been great, Reeve. I appreciate all the time that you spent and, and hopefully my questions weren't too basic. <laughs> I mean, you're probably tired of explaining this to guys like me, but it's been really helpful and I'm sure people learned a lot. Now, in terms of the ICO, again, you said that was on October 12th. Anybody can participate. Go check that out. Everyone at blockv.io. And Reeve, is there anything else uh, that we need to know about this world? Get involved. I highly encourage people to pay attention and get involved in Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and just know it. It's worthwhile to pay attention to open account on Coinbase. I'm just stating that more as so you can participate in what is the future because the underlying technology of blockchain and these cryptocurrencies really, really are going to have a material impact on the world. And you might think it's too late or you might think the price is too high or you might wait for it to go up or down. But don't because the time is now and the market is only going to grow. And so I just highly encourage all my friends to get more involved, pay more attention and really appreciate the impact that blockchain technology is going to have on the world. That's really good advice. And I want to thank you again, Reeve, for being on Wealth Formula podcast today. And we'll be right back. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Wow, right? I mean, isn't that cool? I mean, I am just so blown away by this stuff. 
I don't know about you, but I am excited and I'm keeping my eyes open for blockchain business opportunities. This is going to be huge. Now, listen, I'm not suggesting you all run out there and do what I'm thinking I'm going to do. But if you do have a speculative component to your portfolio, like I have, I mean, I have about a you know, 10 to 15% of my portfolio is on the speculative side, not in like stocks, bonds, mutual. I mean, I'm not doing that, but, you know, investing in startups, angel investing, that kind of thing. But if you have that, it might be a good idea to keep blockchain opportunities on your radar. So that said, my call to action to you this week is simple. Just go to Google and put in blockchain and watch videos because I'm too lazy to read. So that's what I do. I basically go to videos and watch them, you know, watch one after another and just keep watching them. There's some cool ones. Maybe I'll send them out. But pretty soon, I mean, this stuff is just going to be here and it's going to be part of your world and you won't even think about it anymore. It'll be our brave new world. Now, I do have one other call to action for you today, which is to please go to iTunes. And if you like this show, give me a five-star rating. I don't ask for this very often, but here's the thing. One of our listeners and investors told me on the phone last week that I really ought to be doing this more. And he's probably right. I mean, this month in September of 2017, we are headed towards a 30,000 download month, which is Pretty phenomenal, folks. I mean, this podcast is, gosh, it's less than a year and a half. It's about a year and a half old. That is a very good number. And with those kinds of download numbers, we really should have a lot more reviews than we do. So please take the time to do it as soon as you can. That is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.